This episode of the podcast includes topics such as PTSD, military conflicts and army life. This may cause strong feelings in some. Discretion is advised. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Mind of Stigma with me, Tom Perry. Yeah, me, Alex Emery. Uh, our guest today is Vicky McLennan, fellow veteran, uh, member of the RBLR Village. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. Thanks, Alex. I'm good. 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 Um, Thanks, I just wanted to get you on, really. Um, Vicky is uh, an amazing person with an amazing story. Start us off naturally from the beginning around sort of childhood. Start start there and then we'll, I'm sure there's there's loads we can sort of build in from there, mate. So where 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 were you born? What how did it start? Going back to nineteen eighty. Kowloon, Hong Kong. I was born in Hong Kong, I was part of a military family. My dad served in the REMC for twenty two years. Yeah, I was born out there and then come moved around with my dad while he served for most of my childhood till I was about sixteen. Moving around wise, whereabouts? So I think I went to my first sort of school in Woolwich and then mm-hmm. Older shot, we spent a lot of time at Germany, back and forth to Hong Kong, I think twice, that sort of thing. As a child, though, that must have been quite exciting. But was there also like an element of like, like apprehension, nervousness about going to new places, or did you? It was that something that you grew out of quite quickly. Yeah, I got that. I think that I take that as a positive for my childhood, getting to meet people, comfortable meeting new people. You know, it's a positive moving around. But then when I got older. And you start forming relationships, friendships, and it gets a lot harder to leave. Something that a lot of vets say in it about move, the, the constant moving around. Then when you find yourself static in one place, it's quite hard to nail that down and, and be sort of consistent with your lifestyle. And I think it can actually be quite disruptive to then stay in one place again because you're used to that two-year cycle of bouncing around. And I think it can be a really hard sort of transition. But yeah, so once you kind of got through that then, so you got to the point where you're, what, 16, you said? What happened at that point? About 16, 17, my dad got out. He left the core RSM, REMC, and uh, we went up to Scotland because my dad's Scottish. Yeah. And we went up to live in Scotland. So I went to school up there, finished off my education. Um, one thing I want to say about education is it could have been disrupted moving around little lots of schools, yeah. but I, I was okay. I did all right. I got my GCSEs and my A-levels. Why was that, do you think? Why, why did you do so well? Because I know that's hard, you know, when you move bouncing schools anyway, let alone at like different locations as well not just the same areas different schools you know we're talking about across continents you know i think i think going i went to some schools in germany which were good i know i learned different cultures you know i learned how about different people from a young age so i think i just fell into that i didn't let it disrupt me i just got on with it finished school what was your plans in your head mentally where were you at because obviously you bounced around you've seen your dad obviously clearly pass his way through a long long career um one that's illustrious that's done quite well um yeah was that was that something that you strive to achieve as well or, or yeah i think so from i knew from a younger age that being around the military i enjoyed the part element of being um a family moving with, with the army I, I just it was my sisters would never join and you know they were never interested but I was always the one you know the sort of tomboy out there on my bike and just dad taking me to work going dad why does everyone stand up when you walk in the room like you know thinking wow this is you know yeah my dad's like it's weird yes it's a bit odd no, yeah, and it just was something that was there. I was either going to join or not join, and I and I thought the lifestyle 
it had a lot, it appealed to me quite a lot and it had a lot going for it. So age you joined, when did you join? When I was 19. Yeah. So I left school and I thought, what do I do now? Oh, I'll join university because that's what everyone else does. Yeah. So I went to uni for about six months and yeah, then... Yeah, you, you said this recently. I was, I, I, not to sound recent surprise because, oh my God, she's stupid. <laughs> no, um, it was more because I was sitting there and it was a part of your life that, and this came back to what I was speaking about with Steve the other day and, and yourself was... Uh, the army scene is like the best time of your life or the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. But that's a massive achievement. So what happened with uni? What did you study? Oh, well, I, probably because I chose to do politics, geography and history. So there you go. So I was more interested in being in the uni bar at the time when I was young, you know. So did you finish uni? You completed? No, I did about six months. Of, had a good time, though. Yeah, you're back, you've gone up in my life. Dundee University. Yeah, it's a good uni to get into, yeah, apparently. No, yeah, it is supposed to be. But I mean, so what made you then completely come away from that? Was it just something that you'd figured out that's not for you? And Yeah, I just it wasn't for me at that time. I just wanted to I just thought, what am I gonna do when this when I finish this university? What what am I gonna do? I didn't really know. I did didn't know at the time what I wanted. So I just went with the norm. Oh, you go to school, you go to uni, you get a job. And then I was like, you know what, I don't have to do that. I can join the army, so I did. <laughs> I love it. Love it how that's not seen as a job. Yeah, I'll just do that. Like, yeah, boot camp. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. I took my dad out for lunch, actually, and he, I said, you know, I want to join the army. He said, you know what you're letting yourself in for, Vicky? I went, yeah, totally. Yeah, let's do it. You joined the army. Did it meet your expectations, or did, was it totally different to what you seen in your head, you know, what you kind of made up in your mind or what it would have been like. What, sergeant screaming in your face, yeah, spitting yeah. in your face? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to my dad, you know, being a regimental sergeant major, living with, you, you know, they were nothing really, them sergeants shouting at me. It just went over my head. It makes for it makes for quite an easy, not an easy time, because I think you're actually then test or measured against your dad's performance in, in well, performance in the military, you know. Uh, it's time in the military, um, which actually can be even harder, but it also it does set you up in a good way. A lot of uh, individuals that I serve with that had parents that had gone through, and even myself, is you kind of get a bit of an insight because of their behaviours, even if they're, I mean, at the time, my, uh, my parents weren't in the army when I was born. They'd already left, but my dad's behavior and my mum's was was really rigid you know the way they wanted to live the type of lifestyle they lived uh the way they, the house even looked i could tell so when i joined it wasn't really too much of a, a kick in the teeth you know what i mean like having to live pristine i've kind of already although i was an absolute crop bag i was disgusted like you know what i mean well i mean to be fair even now it's boxes inside out st like standard behavior you don't mess about with the washing machine everything's expensive these days but yeah, I mean, I kind of built up that tolerance and I can see it with yourself. And, you know, when I met your mum and dad recently, I was like, yeah, I can see that. I can see, but they, they've got, it's that personality, it's that military mentality, personality, the family uh, ethos that you get within that military sort of bond um, within the villages that you have there. You know, I could see it in the way they talk and the way they interact with some of the other veterans we had there as well. So, yeah. Um, so moving past that part then, so you got in, um just only on. just oh, I went to, I, there's another story there i went to the careers office to do the test so bearing in mind i've just come from uni dundee uni yeah. to in the high street in dundee to the careers office with yeah. my student card yeah i have that back i won't wait to see if i get in the army i'll just give you that back went to the careers office and done the test and i, I was like yeah bob is uh smaller than tim who's larger 
like that one, like doing this test, and I failed it. Oh shit! Yeah, this simple test to get in. You know what? It's really funny, isn't it? It, That says a lot. It does say a lot. And I was like, he didn't tell me it was timed, so I was taking my time making sure I got the right answer. And then I went. He did let me back and have another go. Which he shouldn't have done, apparently. So. But the the barb test is it's a really strange thing. Um, it's like if someone goes, "Oh, that's, I've heard that's piss easy," and it is. It is. It really is. I've been thinking back. I'm like, "Oh my god, I should have really smashed that." But I think I was just in mong state. I think you know, <laughs> I really was. You know, and you send someone in there that's just like, "Oh, this looks easy." Yeah, and which cogs moving quicker? Well, I'm looking at all the cogs going, "Well, fucking moving the same to me." So pick. I went like that and just pick one. And then it was afterwards, they went, oh, you're really not that intelligent. Uh, so we're going to go, you've got infantry, basically anything, like if you want to, yeah, infantry. Uh, and then you could be a gunner. What, I was like, oh, what's a gunner? Oh, it's a big thing that goes back. Oh, oh. yeah, I was like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. But yeah, it, I have to admit, it, it does it does catch you out. But that's quite funny that you <laughs> nearly didn't get in. Um, so when you did eventually get in, um, what was what was your choices? What what why did you choose to go where you went? Because I know that's I know obviously with your dad being um you know RMC and it, it's something that was that something that you just wanted to do or yeah I wanted to sort of in a way follow in his footsteps. I knew what it was about. I knew you know what what was letting myself in for. What pressure did you feel then? Do it because I, I can imagine that must have been quite big. So yeah, I tipped up at Litchfield on day one, and I could see. Um, we're all standing there. We've all got off the train. We've all met the corporal. We've all gone back. There's a big step, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and you've left your family. You've been blubbing all the way down from Scotland on the train, and you're like, sort myself out. Come on, I'll join the army here. And then um, it, I could see this sergeant looking around. We're all standing there with our little name badges on yeah. in our smart civvies and that. And I was like, oh god, here we go. Started already. He was looking for me. He's looking for my name. That was it. What was the reception you got? Because I can, I can imagine there would have been a mixture, depending on what your dad said to someone <laughs> in the past. Which I, I don't. I met someone who'd known my dad, and I thought I'd never meet anyone that knew my dad because he'd left so long ago. But there was, there was a corporal, and I remember he had made my life fucking hard. Like, and this was, this was in phase two, and he, I remember he said, "Your dad used to take me around the back of bicycles and smack me up." For being shit. I wonder what he was going to say. Then. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I mean, hopefully he didn't do anything else, but to come um no so yeah basically i then just received the shit end of that so i can imagine it would have been quite hard for you um and what did that do that because i remember my that first night or the first couple of nights or first week mentally where was you at because you've gone from being a student and obviously you've had that lifestyle with your parents but what mentally where was you at at that point because that i think is quite a poignant thing we'll probably have people on here to well that might watch that are going through training or like, how did that feel for you, knowing that you were going to try and follow in the footsteps of someone that's been so, you know, it's done really well within the career? Like, oh, there was a, a little bit of pressure there, mm. um, but I, you know, I, I, I could have with my qualifications, I could have went in as like they kept kept pulling me out, going, "Sure, you don't want to be a nurse? No, mm. I want to be a medic. You know, do you want to be a nurse? You can do be a nurse if you want. Yeah. No, I want to, you know, and you could be an officer if you want." I said, "No, I want to go in at the bottom." And if I if I get that far, then I get that far. Then I'm, you know, I just want to work work for it. I've always been a hard. I think the the work ethic's been there with with my family growing up. That you know, my dad being military, it's just always been there. I mean, I got, I was in Germany and 
as a child um, when my dad was based out there. Mm. And I remember lying in bed one day going, what can I do to get me some money? <laughs> like, like just, I'll just do a paper round. So I've always had that the go out there. That, yeah, mm. always had that. So, but yeah, at Litchfield, I was homesick. Yeah, I missed my family terribly. Well, I was quite like, uh, I felt like, oh, I'd already gone through a period of staying away from home and living out. And um, I think it was actually knowing that if this all fails, that it's not just like failing at a GCSE or or leaving uni early. This is quite a big thing because a lot of people know you've gone. Uh, for me, they did anyway. A lot of people knew that that was where I wanted to go. And I thought, this is actually not as easy as I thought. I thought, I don't really actually really want to be here that much, to be fair. Um, I was like, I've got some fucking idiot next to me. He keeps snoring. So I'm in, a, I'm in a block with like, well, in a small little room with 14 people that I actually thought half of them were fucking knobs. But in the end, it turns out I loved them all. But at the beginning, I was like, this ain't for me. Where's my single room? You know, <laughs> where's my single room? Where's my little nice home stuff? And it really, I did get quite homesick, to be fair. I was like, oh, that first week I was like, oh, maybe my dad was right. Because he thought I couldn't do it. He's like, I'm not sure if you... Should the drive then to say, it, it well, does, no, yeah, I can do it. I, I don't think I ever had a, a fear of, of of not passing basic training rate or, or joining. I, I didn't have any fear that I thought, I'm here now and this is it. I'm doing it. <laughs> I think that's that drive though that just keeps you going. But so you get through basic training, you you know, you're in the um, you know, become a medic. Um, let's like fast forward then a little bit. So, you know, you get to you get to your unit, your first unit, what's cause you you know, you did quite a few deployments, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, anyone that's seen Vicky out parade or anything like that and it's quite a... Uh, yeah, there's quite a few there. One more than my dad, so. But yeah, one more than your dad. I had to beat him, didn't I? Do you have to do mind him about that? All. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I did bring it up when I saw him um, weeks, uh, quite a few weeks ago, and he, it was kind of like I'd kicked him in the nuts a little bit. So he did, he did look at me a little bit, and, and then and then he told me that he'd done something one more than you. It, honestly, I was like, you should. He's very proud of me. But yeah, he, he's. He is very it's proud of you, yeah. That's I mean, right. he did speak highly about you. So, <laughs> where was your first deployment then? What, what was so, that? Colchester, 16 Close Support Medical Regiment mm. in uh, Colchester. Um, and I was in the unit. I was living in a 10-man room with loads of girls, and it was a nightmare. And then they they were like, oh, we've got this deployment to Kosovo. I was like, did you get your own room? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. So, off I went to Kosovo, like, pretty much months after joining the unit. It was pre-deployment training. Bit of leave, say bye bye everyone, and got them off. And that was it. Hit the ground running from there. Came, went to Kosovo. Yeah. Went, walked into the ops room, where the, you know where all the sort of they're sitting there, and there's like TVs and stuff. And I was like, "What DVD are you watching there?" Then they were like, "No, it's not a DVD. It's nine eleven. It's just happened. It's for real." I was like, "Oh." So they were, it was like, "Oh, we're so we'll be going somewhere else soon." Then what was your gut feeling then? Like at that moment when you saw that, because I know that that's quite a turning point for a lot of people. Yeah, it it was like we we sort of knew that we were going away again was on the cards. Yeah, so we knew that when we got back, it'd be more pre-deployment training, which it was. Yeah. Bit of leave, training again to go to Afghanistan. Yeah. So I was one of the first troops on the ground in Kabul. What what, what did that pre-deployment look for you, like for you? Because like we spoke with. Um, with Steve, you know, his his first lot of pre-deployment in, in relation to when he went out to Afghan, obviously it's a little bit later in 
that in the pre-deployment side of things in relation to Afghan. What did that look like for you? How did it feel? Did you feel prepared mentally, physically to get? Or when you got there, did you feel like what I've done is mentally prepared me for this or not? Um, I suppose it didn't. It didn't. I I was quite young and I was obviously I wanted to go away because I'd been volunteered my first. I, I got that. I like being away, like, you know, I don't, I prefer being away. I was one of them soldiers that preferred to be away than to be back in, in camp. camp yeah. yeah, I was just, yeah. I was always on exercise. You know what, 16 years old, it's like you were busy. You, you've got to be prepared to go anywhere in the world at a drop of a hat. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, yeah. It's high readiness, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, and you're on constant alert for all that time. So I was spent my first four or five years in the military, just there, pretty mm -hmm. much going away, coming back, going away. When you came back then, uh, you know, because obviously, I think it's hard to mentally prepare yourself to go anywhere. But I think coming back, what did that look like? Like the the, the decompression of it all. Like, was that something that's You're amazed by everything when you come back? You've not had it. Mm. You've had nothing. I mean, I think for two weeks in Afghan, we didn't even have like any bread or an apple. I remember seeing an apple, thinking, "Oh, that looks juicy." <laughs> Love. Yeah, yeah. And mm. the Afghan bread, which we got told, oh, we're not allowed to eat that. Mm. You know, yeah. when, when the environmental health came out, I was like, oh, too late. We've already had two weeks of eating. <laughs> yeah, I'm rattling the fucking bog at the minute. Two hands on it. Like... Love it. But, yes, that's it. It's hard, isn't it? Because I think, um, like like with what we were talking about in the last uh, podcast, is I don't think there's any way to prepare yourself um, for what potentially might the fallout might look like when you do come back from uh, a tour, uh, the, no matter how kinetic it is, um, because you've gone to a different a place that's got a different culture. Thoughts and feelings when you first land there, then, you know, you're in a new country, you're in a country in which, uh, you know, was uh, uh, well, it was known for, obviously, there's terrorist, um, terrorist activities, you know, being a, um, a hub and a hive for terrorist, terrorist activities. What was your thoughts and feelings the first minute you land on the ground Obviously, other than the heat that hits you. Well, it was at night, actually. So I just wanted to get my head down and get some sleep. Okay. <laughs> I just remember walking into this building, no windows. It was all like, and it was freezing cold. And I remember my friend, Karen, she was there before me. And I thought, oh, brilliant. Let's huddle up. Let's get some body heat here. Yeah. So we just got on top of the and got on the floor, literally in this room. Yeah. This is your room, girls. Like, And then... Like we kept trickling, like a few girls would come in yeah. later on, a few hours, and then we all cuddled together to keep warm. And then yeah. a few more people would come in, and we were all in this room in like a big, long, well, you know, everyone together with a <laughs> dos bags, like sausage party. Yeah, women. yeah, like lovely. Yeah, I've got so, yeah. great. I've got great thoughts <laughs> right now. Yeah, this is really not. But it doing... was just so cold. I remember it being freezing, <laughs> freezing cold when we got there. Yeah, and then in the day it was really hot when yeah. you're in the sun. It was really nice, but it took a while to warm up. It's two extremes, isn't it? Yeah, I have. I had heard um, a lot about that because I, being as that, I'm obviously clearly not that intelligent. Um, I was like, "What are you talking about?" Someone goes, "Yeah, it was. It was freezing, mate. I had like two or three coats on at one point, and I was just like, standing there, like, yeah." And I was like, "Yeah, no, it was. Desert, yeah, it was no, boiling, yeah." Man. Through the day, it was hot, and at yeah. night, it was dropped, really dropped, and you felt yeah. it. Even even in, having a wash in the morning around the bowl, there was icicles around the bowl. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you get there. You're stuck in a room full of other other women that have obviously been deployed from different units. I'm guessing. I think we were all from the same unit there. Okay. Sixteen, okay. yeah, medical. So it was the medics. All, so basically, we we when we first went there, we set up a um, 
like clinic for the locals. They can't just go to the shop and buy paracetamol. Okay. So we set up these little clinics where they would come to us. But boy, did when they found out we were there, they all come in there. Yeah. And what was the response you got from them? Because obviously, I think the mixed. I, I don't know at what point that changed, but yeah, there's a mixed feeling, wasn't there, about uh, about you guys being there? So. Well, it was. It was quite. They were quite happy for us at the start. I mean, we were providing blue light matrix to Kabul, so. I I used to go out in like two three in the morning, um, a call get a call. I thought, oh, it's another lady. She's pregnant. She's having a baby. Get get in the ambulance. Off we go. We go through these checkpoints. These like these Afghan army would be pointing their AK forty sevens in our like our, our ambulance. Like we we're going to pick someone up. We're okay. You know, let us through. Like it's quite scary at first. I was only young. You know, in the back of the ambulance, thinking, just don't shoot. So what was so how old were you then when you first got deployed? How old were you? So I was about in my early 20s. Early 20s. So I went to Kosovo when I was 21, I think. Okay. 20, 21. And then 22, I was in Afghanistan, about 22. Do you think then, like, because obviously, um, you know, I, I don't know whether it's a good thing or not, because when the younger you are, I feel like almost the less fear you have, because I don't feel you've actually had too much life experience yet to actually build up fear. Everything like, was fun. Everything was... Yeah. You know, like I'm just glad exciting. I'm there, exciting, yeah. And then when, so when did that really change for you then on that on that particular tour? When did things really become quite no, real I or I not? I wouldn't say. Well, oh, on that tour, it was when we got an ambulance call, um, and it was pe like people. Uh, was it a different Danish? I don't. I can't remember now. It was that long ago, but um, yeah, people have been like blown up by landmines that were there. Like, not not a terrorist attack, not anything like that. It was just, I, um, there was a lot of legacy mines from when the Russians were there before, wasn't there? And you used to drive around, and they'd all be on the side of the roads, and you could just see them all piled up. Was that how did when you came back from that first tour? You know, you land back, you're in Collie again. Um, hit the high street running. Yeah, yeah. so you did Night's the proper. Out. Squaddy yeah, yeah. Uh, debrief, yeah. which involved a lot of drinking. Yeah. Um, when do you feel then, like, obviously then subsequently you've gone on other tours since then, um, you know, and I don't I don't wish to make you relive every single tour <laughs> that we talk and we're going to talk about. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's really the point. I no. think because with, with you, Vicky, I think my my real thoughts and feelings around you is that you know, you've you've done so much. Um, you know, you've done so much within your regiment. You've done so much um, for within your service. I want to know more about the fallout of what that's done to yeah. you. Really, I mean, you know, I think it's given you um, a massive platform to push off from. But I think it felt, it looks like to me, and maybe it felt like to you that your platform fell from underneath you. Yeah. Um, and when did that start to show its ugly face? Then, like all the, all, all this sort of. PTSD stuff but when did that sort of show its ugly face after my uh last afghan tour which was uh front frontline yeah out on the frontline medic um 2011 12 okay so, then, so after that when i got back after that yeah, yeah and then self destruct pretty what, much in what way so talk, talk me through that what that looked like so that wasn't that wasn't pretty at all that was pushing everyone away not talking to my family then i think they knew what was they sort of had an inkling what was going on yeah. but i wasn't with them i was an older shot at the time i'd been in germany mm. to deploy to afghan and i came 
pretty much did that tour, came back from to Germany and had to move back to the UK. So I was with total separate people that I'd been away with. Yeah. New 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 faces, people that didn't know me. And I was struggling. And they were still, because I'd just fresh come back from Afghan, they were like, Vicky's current, she's up to date, she knows this. They wanted and they wanted, they wanted so much from me. They wanted me to train others. I was yeah. going to Fetford Forest and the engineers were setting off bangs and I was on the floor in bits. Like, and I was just like this, I didn't really know at the time what, what, was, was. what it was. I didn't know why I was reacting like that. Yeah. I didn't, and then I would, and then I was hit it like, I did it hard going on nights out because the alcohol then numbs all the feelings. You don't, you know, numbs it out, doesn't it? And then for that short time, yeah, and then you've got period. to try and go to work. So you're trying to carry on with work. Um, and I just was not functioning well at all. And it was someone pulled, I remember someone pulling me in who I worked with, another sergeant, because I was a sergeant then. Um, and I felt a lot of pressure being a senior NCO it felt like I wasn't allowed to show my emotion because I had troops under me that I was looking after mm-hmm. and, and, you know, teaching them how to go to war. So it I couldn't show them that I was suffering from being away and trying to hold that all in and t- hold it together was just not easy at all. I think that's the hardest bit about it, isn't it? Especially the military ethos, the way it runs, what it runs on. I think if you are, like I said to Steve and, and we discussed it, me and Tom have discussed it before and it doesn't really, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have space for that. I don't think that, and it sounds awful because you can really lose some good people over it, you know, whether that be lose them to them leaving or lose them because they take their life. Um, yeah. And yeah, that, I mean, I, I can see how the self-destruct sort of starts. So you know, people did recognise that in you, but what what was the response you got from other people then? When you started to, you know, push back to say, no, I'm not doing that or I can't do that or not feeling that today or whatever it might, you know, because the army doesn't, there's no such thing as really a no, is there? You know, there's not a, you don't really say no. You you can kind of argue the toss, but you're going to be doing it anyway. So, yeah. so when, you know, obviously you're, you're suffering PTSD at that point, whether or not it's been diagnosed, you're suffering real big time. Um, what, how did you how did you handle that? You know, being that you were still in work, like you said, very badly. Yeah. So, uh, someone I worked with got me into the office and said, "Vicky, your troops—they don't like you." And I was like, "What? I've always been well respected, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, did well in my career and 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 always did the best I could for the people under me. Yeah, That's what it was about for me. Um, making sure they were okay. Mm. Um, teamwork and everything." just how it, how it how it was ingrained in me really and for for that them words from that, that was mm. it was like wow and then that made me go to the med center and get help but i obviously didn't get the right help at the time i just got you're, you're 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 just depressed and you'll get oh actually i went to a, a doctor who didn't understand mental health i was in i was in a room with someone saying you know get yourself back together, you know, you're a sergeant, get back to work. What do you want time off for? You know, this was the attitude and it was 2012. And uh, 2012. I actually had to stop the doctor and say, hold on a minute, doc, Um, you're not helping me right now. And it was Lieutenant Colonel. I'll always never forget. And I had to walk out because I thought, he's not helping, he's making me feel worse here. Sad. He's he's making me feel like it's all my fault. 2012 and someone hasn't got the ability... 
that's in that you know and it's it's hard to describe to anyone that hasn't been sitting in front of a doctor that's also wearing a rank because it's an odd it's an odd concept because it's like going to your doctor but knowing like i don't i don't know it's like opening up to someone you fully well know that if you open up to your judge not only medically but in, in a military fashion it's 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 really hard to explain so mentally that must have been i mean it's crushing to hear that supposedly your troops felt that way about you supposedly and I, I think you know what in the military i think things get said to to you to to try and drive you into a better place to push yourself and they use negative language sometimes so that you know like they're doing the workplace are, are you know a few people said you're slacking so that you try harder yeah it but yeah that wasn't the right thing for me to hear at that time no. i could have dealt with that if i was well i could have dealt with that fine mm. and got on but because i wasn't well I couldn't deal with that. So it was hands, you know, I was off, off work. I actually was off work for a while then. Um, and I think people did find it hard to know what to say. I was in the mess. I was living there and I didn't have another property or anything to go to. That was my home. So I was still on camp dealing with Peter stick, like figuring it all out myself, yeah. trying to go and do what I knew would help me, like go for a run. And then if I went for a run, someone would say, oh, Vicky's all right. She's like, well, I saw her out running today. So it's really it's, hard. It's, it's a stigma, isn't it? It's a lot of people can't hidden. see hidden. the yeah, what's going on. It, it is hidden. Yeah. I mean, you said about that doctor as well. I mean, doctors are known for it, and they still are known for it. They generally don't understand it. I mean, I've been to doctors before. I mean, I've seen non-military and that, but where I've gone in and said that I'm failing, and they just looked around and go, "Well, if you you know go for a walk, yeah. you know, uh, talk to you know talk to someone, and you know, talk to you like I'm thinking." You know, I'm talking to you, and uh, but I, I mean, I'm, a few doctors I've seen in the past have been terrible. You know, I've been really terrible, and I just don't think enough doctors understand it. It's not something that they they get. I don't think there's enough training doctors have doctors are having with it. Sort of special speciality, really, isn't it? Like it's... it definitely is. I you you think about how wide the spectrum is of any men, uh, mental health disorders or just generally men, people's mental health and the age groups, the brackets sick can hit. I mean, it's, it is a minefield. It is a minefield. Um, but you would expect, I mean, empathy is not hard to drill into someone, you know, it, it takes a bit of time. But if you're in them kind of medical roles, like, you know, empathy is like your first tool. It And, and also it's that whole being able to be a good listener, you know, and anyone that's worked in any medical profession or understands how to, uh, you know, triage someone, treat someone, it starts with communication and if you can't even have that basic sense to not say something that's detrimental a bit yeah proper detriment i mean in the nice way possible you could have gone back and done all sorts I, if you weren't signed off and you're going to go down to the ranges the next day i wasn't in the right mindset to handle weapons because huh. i remember being i was always really fit i mean hmm. i'd done courses that I always push myself because probably going to the female thing in the in a male dominated environment. I always push myself to do better. All the, even though I was doing right, I had to do better. You know, I went on a course that was arduous so that I could come back and go. I've passed that arduous course. You know, I, I I've done it. You know, and and I did it. In that male dominated world, it was in the army. In that, would you look to? Did looked at differently because you was a woman in the army? It was early days. I'd say. No fault of their own, you know, it was just the way it was, if you like. That was the way, you know, like, um, I remember being on parade in Colchester and 
the sergeant coming out and I, and I was really good friends with this guy in, in, in the end of my career anyway. But I remember there's a couple of corporals and they were like, right guys, uh, P company's coming up. Um, who wants to do P company then? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So like, Clennon, get your hand down, you know, you idiot, da, da, da. like getting screamed at because I was a female, put my hand up and thought I was taking a mick. No, I wanted to do it. And then now when I read an article, like a young 19-year-old female medics past P company, I'm like, get in. Yeah. Brilliant. Well done. It must make you. you know. right, but it's, it is like, that could have been me a little, you know. It's hard, like... isn't it? It is hard. We, we spoke just before this, didn't we? And, and you know, my time in the military, regardless of all the, the tour bits and all that, my experience of just being a soldier will be completely different to yours just because of the fact that you're a female. And I think when I was in, I didn't, you know, you, you, you're a blase to most things. But now I'm out, I see, and especially what you, you have achieved, it shows that the whole women being on the front line or being able to basically do exactly the same things a bloke can do. You know, it should have happened donkeys ago. Should have. And it's so sad because it does make you think about the what ifs. You know, actually, I should have been able to have that opportunity to do that. And I think, you know, and especially when you've, like, we'll come back, we'll come onto it. But when you've then left, these little things are the things that really hit you worse than anything else because you're like, well, actually, if I would have had the opportunity to do that, maybe I wouldn't be in this position. Maybe I'd be a stronger person. Or maybe, you know, I would have moved in my career differently. You know, your mind goes off on a tangent. And it, with any mental health, and Tom, you you agree, hopefully, is that once you get an idea in your head about where you think you should be in life or whatever, you just go into a hole and you're in a massive rabbit hole and you, you don't know when you're coming out of that. You, you get tunnel vision, I think, when you get into that state of mind, whatever one is, if it is like suffering with depression, anger, you are in like a tunnel. Oh, yeah. And you can only see that end, you know, just the end of the tunnel coming. It's, it's, it's really hard. It's hard to, it's hard to say anything else other than that. But so coming back onto you, Vicky, if you think about then you, you know, you're suffering, you're on camp, you know, what, how long was the period from that first initial doctor's meeting to you being medically discharged then? God, well, that, that first was 2000, so it must've been 2012. And then I struggled through, I don't know how, and then I got posted from Aldershot to Chicksands where I worked there as a practice manager for a while. So it was out of the norm for me being in the in a in a medical centre as a practice manager was total def different kettle of fish. And I took it on and thought, well, I'm up for the challenge, but I wasn't up for that challenge at all. Not mentally. Every step I took to work in the morning was with dread. Like I was like, I didn't, I, I didn't know how I was, I didn't know how I was getting there. Was, like you said, tunnel. I was just yeah, like, you feel that zombie zom effect, yeah, it? yeah. It was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but apparently I'm fine, so I'll crack on. Was you medicated at that point? No, I don't think so. No, and I was carrying on with that, and I had a few issues there, and then I wasn't really getting my career wasn't getting any wasn't getting any better. Mm -hmm. So I'd done so well, done all these tours, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Bosnia, and then another Iraq, and then another Afghan. Then Chicksands, and then it was I was doing well, and then it just it's sort of like that's it now. I'm coming down. Did you feel like then? Because that's that's a really good point. Is that the minute you feel like you've identified yourself as having a 
quote unquote weakness, but not, you know, uh, in the army's view, potentially. I mean, I say this and I know if there's any backlash, that's fine, but it was always seen as that, you know, I feel like if you're broken, you're broken. And if you're broken, it means you're not working, which means the army don't need you. Yeah. The army, you you actually, you're not good to them really. Yeah. You're like this real weird barrier, you know, you're in the way, get out of the way. So. I was on tour in Afghan on the front line on patrol in Afghan, mm. and six months later, I was back in camp with someone telling me I wasn't good enough to be a sergeant in the British Army. In a, in a report that was shoved under my door, like that, that, that could have been that That's could have been another statistic. That could have been I could have been a statistic there with that. So I had to deal with that, and then go through the feelings of I'm better off if I'm not here. I'm not. Do, I'm I'm probably better off if no one has to deal with me because of how I am. I'm not. I'm not my, the Vicky that I once was, and it was my mum, actually, that noticed. My mum noticed first before anyone. How many tours did you do in total? Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, back to Iraq and back to Afghanistan, six. Well, that's a lot. I mean, do that many tours and come out unscathed is, it's got to be near on impossible. You know, you've got to come out with at least something, you know, because... I think you could be the strongest person in the world and still be affected by that many tours. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of things to see. That's a lot of different different missions kind of thing. And so to come out on scale, I think that's near on impossible. So, you know, it's... it's... I think that it was the tip of the... It was the tipping point was Afghan, the last one, because it was the closest I've come to actual bullets whizzing past my head and yeah. UGLs landing 15 metres away from me and hiding behind a burger and thinking it was going to save me. No, you know. Do you feel like war became a reality at that it, point then? It was like, yeah, nothing can prepare you for that. You know, I was prepared for all all the casualties that you could throw at me. Mm. I was prepared for that because I was a medic and that was my job. But that those near misses were just, I just, no. That's... I feel like that would be, well, personally, that would be, my thing because uh, same because at the end of the day if you you've been taught to do a job and and in the military you do it you drill it you drill it so much that you, you could do it when you sleep you can do it when you've had like two minutes sleep you know for 48 hours or something stupid and you just do it but when it's something that you, the army can't try to make that real you know you, you can't try to do that within an exercise you know i don't think so anyway you know do live fire in packages but no one's firing back at you you know there's a couple of flashbangs that have gone off not the same if you've got something that's whizzing past your head that could quite literally take you out yeah um and you hear it in the tree yeah. behind you like it's, cracking, it, it, and yeah the crackling the noises that are passing by you and then i think it's never going to leave you with so much damage because you know no one i don't think anyone else in life gets that close to death ever unless you're you know, a racing driver or something and you're just about to crash that's the closest you if you're you're running into it or you're trying to bound backwards with other troops uh, with kit on you and no one's ever going to let you get that like, close to death. Take over ever. me. I'm being a bit slow today. Go on, off you yeah, go. I'll be there in it. a minute. Yeah, do, do three Trying to run fast and, you, and you're going like slow-mo. You, you think you're going for hell, like for hell, but in the mud, you're sinking into the mud, trying to run. Oh, and that stay low, move fast. Have you ever tried to do that? That's not <laughs> not easy at all. You don't get low enough. No. <laughs> uh, I, so you, you've, you've managed to get to that point then. You get medically discharged, right? And I, I, first feeling, like if you could just sum it up in one word, what was the first thing you'd come to your head? Like you get that word to say you get a medically discharged. What was your first thought? Oh, it needed to happen. It was a relief. It was a relief. There's too many triggers around. I couldn't carry on. It, and actually, the 
what I remember was the guy saying to me, Vicky, you have got post-traumatic stress disorder. And once the guy said that to me, I just broke down. Well, I've been carrying it for so long, thinking it was me, to have someone tell me what was wrong with it was like, just thank you. You finally got the answer you was, you you needed, really, didn't you, as well? Needed it. I needed it to carry on. Oh, that's a thing with mental health in general, isn't it? Like, do you not see when, you know, when you've had mates and that, that have suffered or just people in your family and that, and that they tell you how you feel and you're trying to, you know, yeah, you've, you've probably got, you know, something X, Y, and Z. And then they're going and someone tells them, like, what diagnose them with. And then they, it, maybe it's that sense of relief that it isn't just a part, it isn't just you, but it, it has become part of you due to, I don't know, X, Y, and Z, whatever has happened in your life. And now you at least you can justify it a little bit. You can rationalise why you're feeling the way you're feeling. I think for you, that must have been a re massive relief. Like uh, knowing that you've got a way out, you've got a diagnosis, you can start the rebuild a little and, bit. And it was because I was with a doctor that understood. I, I was lucky. I, I do feel very lucky that I went in and put my hands up and said, I don't think I'm suited for the army anymore. You know, this is after 19 years. I was going into the doctor saying, I don't think I'm suited. I think I'm just going to get out. Yeah. And she was like, she know she she was brilliant, absolutely yeah. fantastic to notice it and to say, look, I'm going to get you the right, correct diagnosis and everything, and we go through this down these chances. Because I, I think there's a lot of guys out there that missed that opportunity, especially after Afghan. They mm. felt the same as me. Yeah. They were going through self-destruct mode the same as me, and they just thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm getting out. Mm. And they never got that help and support. I mean, I did get a little bit of CBT before I left and – you know, I've got the help, but I think there's a lot of guys out there that struggle just when a letter comes through the letterbox to open it, read it, deal with it, yeah. just put it put it in that drawer. It's PTSD isn't just about reacting to loud bangs; mm. it's dealing with things normal things in life. That, you know, I went to university; I could write essays. Mm. I couldn't even reply to a letter. Mm. I couldn't process information very well. I was struggling, and I and I had to do that work, and I didn't realise it was that was part of me suffering yeah. i think that's that's that whole breaking the, the stigma around mental health it's actually breaking the stigma around individual parts of mental health you know for me um a bit being at all that when i joined the military you know ptsd was kind of coming into its uh early parts of fig people figuring out what that might look like but it was known as loud bangs you yeah. know um that you, do whole... you have the nightmares do you yeah. have the... and it's like well i'm trying to explain the other things and they're it was good to have someone to understand that it wasn't just about that side of things. It was, yeah. it, it was affecting my everyday life of how I functioned. So now, you know, year, how, so you left in what year? So I left in uh, September, 2019, but I've been off work okay. for a year before. So say you got that date to leave. So since I'd then been off. till now, what has life looked like? Cause you left and then where did you go after that point? So yeah, that this is my part of my story that brings me here to the village. Um, so I left. I was in Colchester. I was living out in a, a house in Colchester with one of the girls I worked with at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I met my partner Sarah while I was still there, um, and she lived down the road here in Kent. Mm -hmm. And I used to travel to, down to Kent back and forward, and uh, and then when I got out, it was well. We'll go and live with Sarah and her mum and her dad and a dog. And I've got a dog because I got Dexter, my dog, when I was at my worst, when I couldn't get out of bed, to help me with life, basically to function again. My mum said to this day, it's the best thing I ever did was get that dog. Um, 
and he's the reason I'm here today. And uh, so I got, yes, yeah, so we moved in and it was just a bit like hectic, like living in a room with my big, my dog's like a horse. He's huge. Yeah, like he Dexter, is. he's a it's big like a old unit. horse. Yeah. Like, oh, look, wow. Oh, he's huge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then it was a bit cramped and a bit like, oh, I'm not used to this. I'm not, I'm not used to being like in the family setting either. I'm used to being on my own in the family of the army, but doing my own thing. You know, it wasn't, Oh, it was what, just what, uh, so that is hard. It is it's hard. hard when I moved back. Yeah. Uh, you know, being as all that I, I wasn't suffering with any PTSD or anything, and so I can see how that's going to then make it harder. But I remember moving home, and I moved in with my mum for like a short period, and I thought this is bollocks. I was like, I've just lived on my own, cooked on my own, did whatever I needed to do, and was good at it. And then all of a sudden, now I was like, Nah, I can't cope with this. This is weird. <laughs> and I remember I really did struggle for a long time, and it. Must have been hard for you because you've now sort of joined in with someone else's family group. Uh, like it'll be in that you'd obviously probably met them well before this, but when you then live with someone, we all know that changes the ball game. Whether it be your partner or family, it's hard. Um, and you know, having your PTSD being probably quite well in a bad place, I'm guessing still. What did you do? So once you then got yourself uh, home, you're with Sarah. What, where, what happened then? Like what happened with your, your mental health? Where, what, what did you do about it? To be fair, Sarah's mum was brilliant. I mean, I can't, you know, credit, I give her credit for mm. helping me through that time in my life. She was such a great support to me at that point. And we were going through other things as well with Sarah at the time. And uh, we both had our own individual issues going on. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's amazing how we got through it all really together. And, uh, yeah, mum, my family, that massive support. I can't fault it, but there was obviously that. I need somewhere. I need my safe place. Mm -hmm. I need that feeling of feeling secure because the army give me all that throughout. Well, not just my nineteen years, my you know, yeah, yeah. my whole childhood. Yeah. So I've moved around every three years of my entire life, mm -hmm. pretty much until that point. And I was like, what do I do now? And then, yeah. and then I. I was I applied to the Medway Council, I think it was. Yeah. I'm still waiting if they'd like to call me back. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm still waiting for a call back. <laughs> so, uh, you're on the list. Yeah, I'm on the list. Whereabouts? Because um, it's you know yeah. they say <laughs> when you leave they say oh you go to the top uh, you know and I'm thinking I haven't actually got I'm not from anywhere. Yeah. I've moved around my whole life. I, people ask me that where you're from <laughs> and I look at them and <laughs> hold on a minute let me think where am I from? Uh, it's a difficult question to ask me really as I'm on the spot. Just a simple question like that. Yeah. But, yeah, and then I drove past here, the village. Mm -hmm. It brings me to the RB Alive village. I drove in past one day. I was like, what's that poppy all about then? Mm -hmm. And I drove in and went to the factory and went, literally, can you help me? And he you're in the bit, you're in the factory. All right, <laughs> where do I go then? Yeah. You know that, you know my button up there? And I was like, all right. So I came in here. Yeah. I saw Maria and, Ale uh, Alex, Maria and Malcolm mm -hmm. at the time. And I filled out my application form. I come in and they said they could help me. And I was just, again, like that that moment of being told I've got PTSD, I just broke down. I was like, the help, there's help here. I couldn't believe it. Could not believe that they were going to give me what I needed and what I wanted, was, which was because I, I never, my own fault, coming back from all those tours, I, I just spent my money on like my most of my money's in Colchester High Street and all the pubs up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I just live life to the max. Oh, you don't know when your last day is going to be. Let's go out, you know. So I didn't prepare myself for getting out when I, while I was, and then I didn't know that I was going to get ill 
and not finish my 22 years career. So it got caught short a bit. It's, it's kind of not your fault and is your fault all at once. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like someone handing you like a million pounds and then saying, oh, be like, you know, do well with that. You know, make sure you do the right thing. Well, you don't know what the right thing is when you're like 25, 26 or, you know, 20s. And you think, oh, the right thing to do would be invest in a great pub. And when I mean invest in it, I mean make sure that I drink as fucking much as possible and get shit-faced, yeah. Um, so, you know, you end up on the village then. Um, and since you've been here then, what is like, what is it that you do to uh, better your mental health then? Like, because, you know, you, you've been here, you still struggle, you know, um, day to day. You know, you, I know you have your triggers. I know there's things that you still um, struggle with. So what is it that you are doing? That, you know, are you medicated? Do you see therapists? Yeah, or? so I saw... I saw... I've been through therapy here yeah. and I know where it is if I need it, if I get really bad. So that's a real comfort, really, yeah. knowing where it is and if it, and it's there if I need it. And I'm medicated yet. Um, every day I take my tablets and that. And I just, you know, that's part of me now, isn't it? It's just that I have, to, yeah, I feel comfortable taking it because I know that I'm, I'm not going to be up and down all the time or worrying about if I'm going to be okay. It, it sort of levels me into that you know it levels me out it helps yeah, it does help i mean i had to go through the therapy the, the medication everything to get better in a better place yeah. had to it had to be all together it couldn't have been just one or one or the other had to be a mixture of a bit oh, of everything right. but what i do is because i've lived so long trying to struggle through i found ways of myself for deal dealing with it myself um and what i found here on the village is that you get better around other veterans because you've got similarity. You've all served. That's one thing you've all done together. You've yeah. all served. So it's nice to have that that feeling of safety and security here. Um, and it, it helps. It's helped with my recovery massively, knowing that I'm in this safe environment. Um, and I help, I like to help people. I like to... My, my, uh, my dog Dexter helped me, mm. and, he, and I like him helping others. So I take him to the Appleton Lodge and Bradbury House every couple of weeks. Um, he goes around there and eats all their biscuits and makes just makes their day. And I think, well, if he can give a bit back, if we can do it together, it may, and it really helps me too. I think it's one of the biggest um, therapies is, is helping others, um, you know, and having an animal. And I just, yeah, I mean, I've got the most pathetic-looking dog. I'll, I will bring Rocky on. Yeah, you got Rocky room. has to come on. Yes, but I think we'll get your dog in a room, though. Like, this is not as yeah, big as it looks. Yeah, we would fit in I mean, Rocky's like, he could fit in Dior handbag. He's ridiculous. Um, and he just makes me feel massive. You know, it's all all about making me look huge. Um, but, yeah. it's It's been great having you on. It really has. And um, I'll only say to every guest we have on about final work, final your final thoughts, but... If there's anybody in the army right now who could be listening to this and there might be the same situation you was in, but still in, what would you say to them? Go and get some help and, you know, if they're not listening, keep going. Just keep going back to go someone diff someone different. Go, you know, just keep keep at it and just, if you know that you're struggling, it's better to get that help sooner rather than leaving it for so long, you know, for such a long time. And, and, and no, and I think, noticing it in others as well i think that's a big thing you know that's important, yeah. if you do notice it in others just maybe have a whether well, just try and help Ooh, yeah. uh, thank you for coming on vicky no our very own wonder woman and uh <laughs> yeah. it's been great having you on but uh yeah that's all we've got time for today guys um 
it's been great uh been a great podcast hopefully you guys enjoy it let us know what you think about it and uh nice one yeah cheers leave comments below um yeah thanks Vicky. good cheers. comments yeah, yeah good comments <laughs> cheers